Revelation chapter 3, let's begin in verse 1. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Father, we submit our hearts to you and our lives to you now. We thank you that we get to worship you in the study of your word. We recognize that your word is like a mirror assessing our current condition. We recognize that that condition changes from one moment to the next, one day to the next. And we want to be fashioned and made like Jesus, to made it further into his image. We pray that you would use these verses for that purpose by your spirit. We recognize that you've led us to feast upon your word and to let your word be the foundation upon which our lives are built. So we yield our hearts to you. We want our hearts soft and pliable before you for your spirit to speak to them. And for us to not, not just hear your word, but bring you glory by obeying your word. Help us to be obedient to your word by your grace and by your power. And would you receive glory, please, from our hearts, Lord, as we worship you in this way. Use this family here for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The Church of Sardis was located in a city that was about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira that we looked at last week. The city, which is called modern-day Sart, which is spelled S-A-R-T, was completely pagan. It was one of those cities on a trade route, which enabled them to be a little bit more affluent, thus kind of facilitating or bankrolling their expression of sin. Uh, It was on that east-west trade uh, route that went through Asia Minor there. And this city, the city of Sardis, was kind of a shell of its former glory. It, it was kind of living off of its former reputation. About 600 years before this time, it was at, really at its zenith, and it had been conquered a few times and so forth, and, and it had kind of faded related to its influence. And it kind of is fitting related to looking at the church of Sardis because They were very much fading related to influence as far as God was concerned. We don't know who planted the Church of Sardis. It very well could have been a result of Paul's ministry in Ephesus for three years. Someone from there went out and planted the Church of Sardis. And so this city was um, had a very different personal self-assessment than Jesus had. And that's what brings so much sobriety related to our hearts. Because, uh, and we'll see that in another church as well as we look at these churches, because the most important assessment is God's assessment of our lives, of our church, and so forth. And that's why we need God's word so much, because it breaks through so much self-deception. 
as we can comfort ourselves and encourage ourselves in a way that isn't in line with Scripture. So God says, here, look at what my words and look what my word says and you can see whether or not your, your family, your church body is according to what I would want it to be like. And that's healthy for us. Notice in verse 1, we're told of the Lord Jesus' diagnosis of them. He says, And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. So he begins with, just like he does all these churches, to the angel of the church of Sardis. Angel means messenger. This is the the head um, elder or the elder of the church. He's supposed to communicate this to the church and so forth, but not only just that particular church, as we've seen at the end of each one of these letters to these seven churches, he says, let the, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. So they would pass these letters around. God knew that that would happen. He knew that throughout the church age that churches would be looking at every one of these letters. As I mentioned before, there are probably hundreds if not thousands of churches in Asia Minor at this time, but he chose seven because it no doubt uh, what he had to say to all of them constituted what he would want every church to hear throughout the church age. We're also told his self-description there, and his self-description is always reminding them about something about himself that they either lost sight of or they need to in- increase their focus on, especially related to what they were struggling with or what they needed to know uh, related to correction. And so he does that just like he does with all these churches. And he's, he get the first description of himself. He says, he who has the seven spirits of God. Now, we've already seen in chapter 1, verse 4, him describe himself as the one with the seven spirits of God. And that can cause a question, you know, what does that mean? What is he talking about? And he's not saying that there's seven Holy Spirits. Remember, we looked at the number seven. We looked all the way back to Genesis, the first mention of the, word, the number seven. And that word, that number seven means completion or fulfillment and so forth. And so um, I believe this is a reference to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So he's the one that um, possesses the, the, the Holy Spirit in the sense that he gives the Spirit to us to empower us uh, for service. Now remember, every most of these references come from the Old Testament. Out of the 404 verses in the book of Revelation, 278 of them are direct references from the Old Testament. And I want to read you a passage from Isaiah chapter 11 that uh, is the main verse that most people believe that these Jews that were had become Christians most of them, would know about, would be able to reference back to and understand what he's talking about related to the sevenfold ministry or the fullness of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. I want to read it to you. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That was a very famous passage from the Old Testament that was describing the ministry of the Lord Jesus and how his ministry was would be represented by the fullness of the Spirit, the sevenfold or the complete full ministry of the Spirit. But there's also a reference in Zechariah chapter 4 related to a lampstand with seven lamps that represented the fullness of the Spirit. So he's describing himself as one who has the seven spirits of God, who has the fullness of the Spirit 
available. And that's really what he's getting at related to his self-description, is that there's, there's characteristics of himself that he makes available to us so that we can take advantage of him related to our service to the Lord and what he has us in the middle of. So uh, that's his first self-description. Now the second one is that he has the seven stars. And we saw in chapter 1, verse 20, that Jesus defined for us what the seven stars are. The seven stars are those seven angels that um, are overseeing the churches. And so he's defined that for us. And, and I want us to focus real quickly on the word has there. Notice the word has in the middle of verse 1. Jesus has the, the seven spirits. He has the seven stars and so forth. He possesses the fullness of the spirit and the leadership of his churches. And again, this is to remind them that, that they have those tools, for lack of a better word, at their disposal to be all that they're called to be related to the church. And so we'll touch on that a little bit later once again. He also says, notice, I know your works. And again, we've seen that over and over again. He has said it to every single church so far. And, and it's just a good thing to remind ourselves that Jesus sees everything. I remember as a new believer, I think I've mentioned this a couple times, as a new believer, someone told me, you know, when you sin, it's like God sees it as clearly as if you were doing it right before the throne of God. Oh, thanks. You know, I appreciate that. Uh, and we can forget that in our private lives and behind closed doors, we can forget that God sees everything. He sees everything that we do, everything that we don't do. He sees every intent of our hearts. It's clear and naked before him, and it's good for us to know that he sees everything. And related to a church, he sees everything that we're about. He saw this last outreach, and I was hope, I'm hoping that he was there uh, in our midst as we gathered together for that purpose. He was there in our midst. I'm sure he was. His word says that two or more are gathered in his name. We were gathering in his name to, be, to engage in outreach. So he's there in the midst of us, and he sees everything that we're doing, how we treat each other, how we uh, express our love for one another, how flexible we are to his spirit's direction and so forth. He sees everything. And that's supposed to produce a sobriety in our lives, that he sees everything. This is his church. He has the freedom to work how he wants to work in his church because it's his. It's, it's, he gets to define it. He gets to choose what, it's, what, it, what happens in the church. No leader or group of leaders or anyone in a church is free to decide what the church is going to be about based on their preference. There's things that happen. You, it may surprise you or whatever, but there, there are things that, that occur that are not according to my preference in this body. It's not, they're not bad, they're not sinful, they're not, you know, nothing like that, but they're just not according to my preference. But the Spirit has made it clear that that's what he wants. So who am I to get in the way of that? The last thing I want is this this church to be of me. Heaven forbid. (laughs) But any one of us could, could influence this church in a negative way and try to make it something according to our preference. It's the most important thing we need to remember is that it's according to what Jesus wants. It's his church. He's already told us that he walks in the midst of the seven churches. He walks in the midst of this church. So he gets to define it. And he's laid out very clear parameters that we need to hold to. Acts 2.42, Ephesians 4. And so 
my prayer is that we would always stay exactly with what he wants us to be about. His word is the standard. We're about what he wants us to be about. And we're not yanked all over the place based on our preferences or some book or some you know, fad in the body of Christ. I just want to stay exactly what he wants us to, to be because it matters to him. Good reminder for us. Notice also in verse 1 the contrast between the reputation and Jesus' diagnosis. He says, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. That is so sobering to me to think about that. To think about their reputation was the polar opposite of what Jesus' assessment of them was. Anybody from the outside looking in would never come to the conclusion that the church of Sardis was a dead church. Quite the opposite. They would have a completely different assessment. They had a reputation that they were alive. How do you, when you think of alive, what do you think of a church? You think of a lot of things. And so I, in my mind, as I've thought about it and prayed about it, and as I've looked at this passage many times, to me there's one word that perfectly encapsulates what anyone from the outside would think about or one word that would encapsulate what was going on in Sardis, and that's the word activity. When people think of a a, a live church, they think a lot's going on. There's a lot going on there. It's a lot of activity. And the church of Sardis was a study in activity or busyness. The last conclusion any of us would have looking at this church would be that it was dead. We would never come to that conclusion. We'd come, we'd come to many other conclusions. We'd say many other things. We would have different you know, assessments of it. But one thing we would never say was that that church of Sardis was dead. And the fact that, they, that the reputation could be so different than what Jesus' assessment is, just it's, it's always coming through my heart and thinking about that of, of where are we, Lord? What's your word really say? You know our works. You walk in our midst. What do you think about this? What do you think about how we're treating people? What do you think about how we're preaching the gospel? What do you think about how we're aiming to make disciples? What, is, what do you think about this? Because we could just be a million miles away and not even know it. And one of these churches we're going to look at, he's actually knocking on the outside trying to get in. And that's, we're not above that happening here either. So we have to stay really close to him. Most churches, when they start, when they're planted, they're a work of the Holy Spirit. Somebody listens and hears the Lord, and he says, do this, and a group of people go out, and they, by the grace of God, their idea, their heart is to plant something uh, that is a blessing to him related to a church, and, and it's a work of the Spirit. And it's, and they're completely dependent upon God. And that's where it needs to stay. And the danger that God's people have always faced in times of prosperity is they stop being dependent upon the Lord. We're, we're, many of us have prayed in the past. I've prayed for it. Lord, make this economy turn around. <laughs> all we know is the Great Recession. That's all we know since we've existed is, is a hard economy. And there have been times when the Lord's checked me and said, be careful what you pray for. Because when you're in times of plenty, that's when you can take your eyes off of me. And so that's really spoken to my heart. And you see through the Old Testament so many times where there were times of prosperity. David fell in the, con- in the, in the context of when the kings usually go out to battle in the springtime. And, they, and he didn't because everything was going well. He, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. And he had the opportunity then to, to, to lust after 
someone that he shouldn't lust after, and a woman, uh, Bathsheba there. And so we have to be very careful. And so we, we, we usually are in the middle of something that's supernatural, uh, something that God has, uh, a work that God has birthed. And then over time, things can creep in. We can get a little experience under our belt. Before you know it, we start being self-dependent. Before you know it, we start being flexible. And, and the way that it manifests itself is we stop listening to the Spirit. I thought this morning that he changed my message in pre-service prayer. And I was, okay, Lord, you want to change the message? I mean, that's give them grace because they have to listen to it, you know. But, uh, you know, that's fine. Whatever you want to do, you can change the message. And he didn't change the message, but I'm trying to be open and willing for him to do anything through, through my life at any time. So he can change whatever he wants to change. So we all have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit and listening to the Holy Spirit or else the church can become dead and we, not, or we don't even know it. There was a, when I was in a, a school of ministry uh, and I attended the school of ministry at, at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, we had a semester on church planting. And um, I didn't really use anything from that class when we planted this church, but um, there were some very valuable things in it. Trust me, it was, it was worth my time. But one of the things we looked at is the characteristics of institutionalization, how a church goes from a vibrant uh, church that's full of life to a dead church, to something that is just on life support, and it's going to last as long as the oldest, the, the youngest person in that church, and when they die off, it's over. And we studied that, and they wanted us to study that because they wanted us to see those things so that we can recognize those things that they start happening among us. And so I'm on the lookout for those things. One of those things is we have to be careful about pragmatism as a philosophy that drives us. And the, the mantra is, you know, well, it works. You know, I, I have mentioned this before. I, I get junk mail. You get junk mail at your house, and the church P.O. box gets junk mail. And it's a lot of seminars and books and things that uh, is supposed to show me how to build my church and help... Um, me have a dynamic church and and all these things that where they assess um, you know what success means and I'm no smarter than anybody else and if I don't say amen right there uh, and if I if I didn't have great examples in my life I would fall for all this stuff in a second so please hear my heart I'm no I'm smarter than anybody else but there's all these things that can creep in and we can look at these things as the solution. And there's guys that are struggling out there, and they, they desperately want to have the church succeed. And unfortunately, they're not looking in the scriptures as to what defines success. And so they're, they're looking at all these other things. What defines success? And what do, you know, all these markers and all these ways to understand, how am I being successful as a pastor? You ever think about how a pastor knows if he's doing a good job? It's not the, the weeks that people fall asleep while you're teaching. You know, uh, preaching is the art of uh, talking in someone else's sleep. I don't know if you ever heard that before, but uh, I remember hearing that, and then that makes sense. You know, we have to be careful about that. But how do you gauge success? Really, God's Word defines that. And so we put all these other things in there, and we wonder why the church is not how God wants it to be. And so we have to be careful because we can focus on, you know, having a marketing model or a business model, and we're going to use these man-made, worldly techniques to get the work of God done. And, you know, the way I have been discipled and, and raised up, I've, they've drilled it into my head that the early church was not at a disadvantage because it didn't have all these things that are around today. 
that God purposely birthed the church in that time period where they didn't have all the technology, they didn't have all the, the, the business model things and the marketing things, and, and God can use bits and pieces of all those things, don't get me wrong. But they didn't, they, all they had was God. And that God chose an insignificant number of disciples from insignificant backgrounds in a time with no technology, and they turned the world upside down. And we keep trying to get back to the early church all this time, but yet at the same time we're trying to fill the church with so many different things to make it successful. And God says, you don't need any of that. What you need is my spirit. You need dependence upon me. And you need the biblical model. And if you follow those things and and you're dependent upon me, I will add to the church. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The gates of Hades are defense mechanisms. I mean, when the gates in a city in, in, back in that time protected the city, it was something that was a defensive tool to protect them against the onslaught of a, of a conquering army. So <laughs> hell's defensive mechanism or Satan's defensive mechanisms cannot stand against the church moving forward. Nothing can stop the church moving forward. And that's why when people say we're one generation away from extinction and and we have, to re- we have to disciple our youth to reach the lost. That's exactly true. And I totally believe that. The church, though, isn't going to die. It's going forward. Nothing's going to stop this church. There's going to be the church worshiping the Lord, and, and there's going to be a remnant worshiping the Lord and obeying the Lord all the way up to the rapture whenever that happens. So I understand what they're getting at. Yes, we need to be able to reach the next generation. Amen. But we can't uh, think that it's going to go out of business because... Uh, there are churches that are having their lampstands removed in our time. And there are dead churches, but we have to stay very, very close to him. So when you go and you uh, employ all these tactics and so forth, it's sad that you could take Jesus out of it and it still keeps going. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not a good sign. You could take Jesus out of the situation and it's, nothing changes. There's a, there's a problem there. And so we can fall into that just like anybody else. Now, individually... This can be the same way. How, how, can I, how can I know if I'm dead spiritually or not? I mean, I know we're still connected to the Lord because we're saved and everything. But in terms of our fruitfulness and what he's talking about here, what are some characteristics that either I'm, I'm not being fruitful in the sense of kind of being dead like this church or I'm on my way there? There's some characteristics that we need to watch out for, including myself. One is we, our, our devotional life with the Lord is... is basically non-existent and I know in any given time at any given Sunday I can talk about devotional lives and 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 our walk with the Lord in that way and 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 I can beat someone over the head which I don't want to do and I also know that I have plenty of room to grow in that as well but it's true that you have to be connected to the Lord to have that personal intimacy with him because without that we're not going to have that fruit being brought forth through our lives we have to abide in the vine. Jesus talked about it in John chapter 15. We have to abide in the vine and let him produce fruit through our lives. And if we don't have that, then we're, we're on our way to not being fruitful, among many other things. Secondly, we have to be able to be redirected in the context of our service to the Lord. We have to hear his voice, and we have to be willing to be redirected. One of the characteristics of the Lord Jesus' public ministry is that it changed. See, a, a characteristic of a church that's been institutionalized and it's dead or on its way is that they're immovable. 
in their traditions, in, in what they do. They've always done things this way, and we're always going to, brother, when the, till the rapture happens, we're doing this formula, and nothing's ever going to change. That's, you're on, you might as well just write your church obituary. We have to be flexible. Jesus rarely did things the same way. He, he, I'm sure it really messed with the minds of the disciples. Hey, why did he do it this way? But over here he did it differently. And he's trying to train them that he doesn't work the same way every single time. He wants to do things differently. So in our, in our ministries, he wants to be able to redirect us. And, and, and speak to us and have our service be spirit-empowered and where he can redirect things. I'll give you an example. When you first start serving, let's say he, you know you're supposed to serve in this specific area, whatever it is, and you're scared because you've never done that before. Whoa, Lord, you sure you got the right person? Yep, I know who I'm getting. My grace is sufficient. I have all the power that you need. You step out, little baby step. I mean, you might even, not even count it as a real step. It's like your toenail edges out a little further than your other toenail. Baby step. Then you see God come through with his grace. And he, he gives you the capacity to do it. He, and, and he works through your life. And you're so thankful. And it's a little bit easier the next time as you're dependent upon him. And before you know it, you're doing that thing regularly and, and so forth. This, this is where the danger comes in, though. Once you get comfortable doing that, then you can stop being dependent upon him in the context of ministering. And you may think, well, it's such a small thing. All I'm doing is whatever it is. Let's just pick something. Let's just say it's um, um, greeting someone at the door. That's a very powerful ministry. It may not seem like a big thing to you, but it's a very big deal to God to have people welcomed and so forth. Now, your first step might be you're scared and you're horrified, and then after a while you get more comfortable with it, and then you see, wow, God's using me in this, and I'm really being friendly to people, and I'm welcoming them, and so forth, and then you stop being dependent upon the Lord. See, that's the danger, is you stop being dependent upon Him, because He wants us to be listening to the Spirit in the context of that. Maybe He might give you a sense when someone's walking up that they have been struggling all week, and so you stop and ask them, hey, how was your week? Oh, it was really tough. Can I pray for you right now? See, that's, he's speaking there. You're being sensitive to his, to his, his leading. He, whatever spiritual gift you may have, he may want to use that in that context, in that moment. But if you stop being dependent upon him, stop listening to him, you stop being directable or redirect, how he can redirect you. Or let's say you're serving in the children's ministry and you're, you, you, you're there with a child and the Lord gives you this, this revelation that this child is really struggling. And so you start praying for him. And then you ask, Lord, what else am I supposed to do here? And you talk to the parents. Reach out to the parents. You reach out to the parents. You find out, yes, there's a big thing going on. And then he leads you to, to pray right then. You see, that's different than someone that's just going through the motions, that's comfortable doing this, and just never opens up their heart and their mind to the Lord redirecting them or supernaturally ministering to, in, the, in the moment. See, that's a, 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 that's a description of someone that has not letting Jesus minister through their lives. So whatever you're called to do, whatever your gift is, he calls us to be sensitive to the Spirit's direction and leading. And then it's all supernatural. Another characteristic that we're on our way to, to not being fruitful or being dead in that sense is, is that we're not seeing fruit. Fruit's very important to the Lord. And he calls us to be 
abiding in him and be dependent upon him so that he can bear fruit. So if fruit's not coming forth from our lives, then that could be a sign to us that we're not abiding in him, which means that we're not connected in that sense of letting him flow through, you know, his ministry uh, flow through our lives. And so that's something that we need to watch out for. Now notice um, his solution to, to being dead in verses 2 and 3. He says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect, or complete, perfect means complete, before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. So first thing he tells them, to be watchful, to pay attention. See, that means we need to go before the Lord and, and ask him, Lord, related to my ministry, related to what I'm in the middle of, assess it for me. Now, pay attention. That's what it's saying. Pay attention. Be watchful. And he says, strengthen the things which remain. See, their problem was not bad theology. The problem was that they were lifeless. So he says, strengthen the... Th- not everything that's going on is... You're, you're not letting the, the Spirit direct you and lead you and empower you. There are some things that are Spirit-directed and Spirit-empowered. So strengthen those things. He said not everything that's going on falls into that category. So strengthen those things. They're ready, um, they're ready to die. Those things need to be strengthened. Even the things that are do, be, do it going well, we need to strengthen those things and let Him uh, empower them. And then he says in verse 3, Remember. And notice he says, how you have received. Not what you've received. Did you see that? He says, remember, therefore, how you received and heard. Hold fast and repent. How did we receive as new believers? Because he says, remember how you received and heard. So you're hearing, what are you hearing? You're hearing the word of God. How have you, how did you receive? We received as new believers dependently. We received completely trusting the Lord as a new believer. We were listening to his voice. We were redirectable. He could direct our lives. He could change things up. It's a beautiful picture of dependence upon the Lord. The church of Sardis had been going through these motions, and everyone on the outside were looking at him saying, you're alive, you're alive, you're alive. But they were going through the motions. They weren't dependent upon the Lord for his leading, for his gifts, all these things. And he says, Remember how you received. Again, their problem wasn't theology. Their problem was they weren't dependent upon the Lord. And that's why the Lord says, the beginning, who has the seven spirits of God. I have the fullness of the Spirit waiting for you to fill you to overflowing so that I can minister through you. And it's a beautiful picture. So he says, repent. Be watchful. Pay attention. Assess your life. Strengthen the things that are dependent upon the Spirit. And strengthen the things that are not before they do die. Then he gives the warning there. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. The interesting thing about uh, Sardis is that at one point, not at this point, but earlier in their history, they had situated their city on the top of a very high plateau, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet up. And it was in, you couldn't penetrate it. And there was a a king that came that wanted to attack it but couldn't. And he gave a reward for any soldier that saw a way to penetrate and be able to get up top to be able to conquer them. 
And there was a, uh, one of the soldiers of Sardis was there, and he dropped his helmet, went down, fell down below, and he went down. He knew the secret way to get down and get his helmet. And one of the other soldiers from the conquering army saw that, saw the way they went down. So they were able to sneak up there and come upon them suddenly as a thief. So they were very aware of <laughs> being able to be surprised like that. And so he's warning them the same way, I'm going to come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. He's talking about disciplining them. And God will come and discipline us. And it's, it's a, it's, sometimes it's a very sudden <laughs> spanking that comes on, upon us. And before you know it, we're, we're getting disciplined. Now he also commends the remnant in Sardis in verse 4. He says, You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. See, because Jesus walks in the midst of the church, and because he's loving and he's a caring shepherd, he sees every life. So he doesn't want to discourage the ones that are being faithful who have not defiled their garments, talking about their practical holiness and their, their lives and so forth. And he, and he wants to encourage them. So that's what he's going to do. He says, they shall walk with me in white. Talking about in heaven completely righteous and, and holy before the Lord in every practical way. Right now, we're positionally 100% holy. Practically speaking, our personal holiness ebbs and flows. And he's encouraging them that you have been faithful with your practical holiness, and I'm going to be faithful to you by giving you a new body and something that will never, ever sin in a practical way. And so because of this, he's, he's just encouraging them, and he's saying, um, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you for faithfulness. At the end of all these letters, he's giving encouragement to those that are being faithful. I'm going to move on here to verse 5. His promise to the overcomer here. He says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So again, at the bottom of at the end of every one of these letters, he encourages those that overcome, that are faithful all the way through to the end. And he says they shall be clothed in white garments. Again, speaking of our holiness, our new bodies in heaven that'll be completely holy and we will never sin against the Lord. And he promises that, and that's a beautiful promise. And and then in case they were doubting uh, related to their uh their place in heaven, he says, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. They could have been insecure about that. He wants to encourage them. I won't do it. I won't blot your name out from the book of life. You're going to be faithful to the end, and I'm going to clothe you in these white garments, and you're going to be in my book of life. Your name will be there for all eternity. He said, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, at the end, as we see, when we get to the end of Revelation, when we look at the great white throne judgment, those that don't know Christ are going to be resurrected with bodies that are going to uh, be able to endure that judgment, the great white throne judgment. And it says anyone's, anyone's name not written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be cast into the lake of fire there. So in that great white throne judgment, there's nobody there that makes it into heaven. That's not a judgment for believers. We go before the, the judgment seat of Christ that happens before that. And so he's saying to them, you don't have to worry about the great white throne judgment. You don't have to worry about, uh, 
you know, not being confessed before my Father who is in heaven. And then he tells him in verse 6, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Notice, to the church is plural. So just like everybody has ears for the most part, physical ears, he's saying spiritually speaking, you have ears. You have a capacity to discern what my Spirit is saying. And it's up to us to listen. It's up to us to heed and so forth. And so um, I just want to encourage you this morning. First of all, we're all called to serve in some capacity. We're all called to be fruitful in the body of Christ. Yes, we're called to minister in our homes. That is a ministry. But that's a given in Scripture that we'll do that. He's calling everyone to serve the body in some capacity. It may be outside of this, this body here. But he's called all of us to serve in some capacity. Jesus is a servant. And we can't be like Jesus if we don't serve and we don't have a servant's heart. And so he's given each one of us at least one spiritual gift to serve. And many of us more than one spiritual gift. I've been so blessed by seeing so many of you express so many gifts. Like, wow, I wish I was that gifted. I mean, thank you, Lord, that they're here. But it's, it's a beautiful thing when we're serving with his power, with his grace, and so forth. But the problem is, in the, again, in the very beginning, we can be totally dependent upon him. We're holding on for dear life in the spirit. I remember the first time I taught Sunday school, in, in college and career Sunday school, before I uh, started attending Calvary Chapel Modesto. And I was shuddering. I was so nervous I could barely talk. Unfortunately, I have a tape of that. So there's a record of how bad it was. My, my wife will say amen. She was there. And it was bad. And, and, but God was faithful. He helped me. I was totally dependent upon him. The next time was about 0.5% easier. I mean, very, almost not discernible. A little bit easier. But as I obeyed him and just, okay, Lord, you've called me to do this, it helped that I just saw his grace every single time. But I never want to get to the point where I'm, de- I'm not dependent upon the Lord. And that's what can happen as we get experience. As we st- Maybe you've been serving in an area for a long time. Let me ask you, are you dependent upon the Holy Spirit to serve in that moment? Are you asking him to speak to you, to redirect you, to uh, manifest some spiritual gift or whatever? Are you really yielded over to him in the moment? See, that's the encouragement that he gives us through this church. Because everybody from without would have a different opinion. Nobody would think that anyone in the church of Sardis was dead. And Jesus comes in and says, you're dead. So that's what I'm, you can't depend on what other people think. You can't depend on what their opinion of you is related to that. You have to bring these things before the Lord and say, am, am I, is my service to you represent life? Is it dependent upon your spirit? Am I hearing your voice? And when all the little parts are dependent upon the Spirit, the whole is supernatural. You know, there's no way in the natural that all of what happens here on a Sunday or any time that we gather could happen. Just, there's no way that any one person could hold all that together and provide the motivation and, and provide the power and the grace and, and, and to have everyone know what their gifts are and have them serving with the heart that they're called to serve with. Nobody could do that. That only comes from the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes you don't see the evidence of a church that depended upon the Spirit unless you really look at what they don't do, how they don't use manipulation, how they don't use guilt, how they don't uh, use every human uh, gimmick alive out there to get the work of the Lord done. Because every church is going to say we're dependent upon the Spirit. 
Any, every one of them would probably say that. Maybe some wouldn't. I don't know. But practically speaking, if they're doing everything in their power to get it done in their own strength or the, using all these gimmicks and things like that, are they really dependent upon the Holy Spirit? And I, and I exhort myself and I ask myself the same question. We need to stay dependent upon him. We need to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The disciples, many times throughout the book of Acts, were refilled with the Spirit. They asked to be refilled, or they called upon God, and God refilled them. He knew that they needed that power. As it's been said, we're leaky vessels. We leak. We need that. Every week before we come in here in pre-service prayer, we're asking, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come upon us and overflow us. Let us be completely dependent upon you. And he he honors that every single time. I have never had him not answer that prayer to refill me with his spirit. Whenever you sense you don't have the power to obey God's word, whenever you sense that you're powerless to do what he's called you to do, in your heart, in that moment, just ask the Lord to refill you with the spirit. And he will do it every single time. He tells us in Ephesians to continuously be filled with the spirit. And he'll answer that prayer. So that's what the Holy Spirit, I believe, is saying to us. Are we being dependent upon him? Are we asking to be refilled? Are we sensitive to his leading? Are we listening to his voice in the context of our serving, even if we've been doing what we've been doing for a long time? That's when we're in the biggest danger zone, is when we're completely used to it and we're, we don't even have to think about it. It's just like autopilot. They're, not me, I can't do this, but there are pastors that have the gift of teaching to where they could just go on autopilot and have not, be completely disconnected, their heart, from the Lord, and, and no one would ever know it. But the Lord knows it. He knows that, that, that his heart is completely disconnected from him and listening and so forth to the Spirit. And I, I just pray that that never happens to me, ever. I don't think I'm in danger of being so gifted with teaching that that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, I just have to be dependent upon him. So let's just have it in our hearts. Whatever he has us doing for him, let's be dependent upon him. Let's be listening to his voice. Let's be completely trusting that he will do the work through our lives. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Just think how much that could have bothered them. <laughs> nothing? Did I hear him right? Peter, did he say nothing? Unfortunately, yes. You know, Peter was so self-dependent. God had to break him so he wouldn't be dependent upon himself. So he would be dependent upon the Lord. And then once he did that... The Lord really used him, didn't he? The Apostle Paul was greatly used by the Lord. But what did the Lord have to do first? He had to humble him. Because he was, had a lot of history. He was very gifted and so forth. He could have trusted in those things. And the Lord had to say, no, you're dependent upon me. If, if, if you are dependent upon yourself, there's nothing that I can do through your life. So he keeps, us, keeps bringing us back to that. Let's let the message of the Church of Sardis go through every part of our being as, as individuals and as a church, that there would be no explanation for what happens in and through our lives than His Holy Spirit. Amen?